if you're looking at your life as a business, how much you make, how much you spend, at the end of the year, how much do you have and what is the ROI on that capital? And this is how I always looked at my personal financials. I was a business. The source of revenue was me. You need to work really hard at elevating your current position. You need to actually break this down to figure out a path from A to Z. Once again, you're a business, not a gambler. So what are the steps you're going to take? And how do you get an ROI off your capital? And how do you create a situation where two things happen? Equity grows or income grows? What's up, everybody? Welcome to Saving Capitalism with A.J. Osborne. I don't think I need to do that intro. I think that's kind of like uh, assumed. When you read the title, you know who you're listening to or whatnot. But it does make me feel more like a radio host. So uh, there is that. Now, when uh, we talk about Saving Capitalism, we have a lot of new listeners. We talk about allowing you to participate in the economic system called capitalism that generates uh, wealth, freedom, and prosperity. Now, we save capitalism by making people participate into it, but a lot of people don't know how to. That's what we're trying to solve here. We're trying to get people in the game, talk about what's going on in the world and how you can take advantage of this amazing system. Now, the thing you need to remember is there's a very big difference between investing. And today we're talking about building a business, not a job. And that's kind of like my motto. It's like my theme, right? And you have to build a business, not a job. Now, a lot of people make this mistakes, right? They, they buy a franchise or they invest in a thing and then they end up working. And then all of a sudden that, that investment may make them $100,000. They got a franchise that they built. They went all this work, they started up and it's making $100,000. And they're like, this is incredible, amazing. Um, but they're working full time at that franchise. And if they don't, that franchise doesn't make $100,000. Like think of a gym, right? Now, the question is there, um, is that financial freedom? In my book, no, it's not at all. You bought yourself or built yourself a job. Now, some of it may be, meaning could you pay somebody $50,000 a year to do what you're doing? And then the $50,000 a year left over, okay, now that is not a job, right? That's more financial freedom because now you are making an excess of what it takes to get that money. But it, the money that's tied to you, that's not financial freedom. And it's not, we say financial freedom, people talk about that a lot. It, it kind of became a buzzword. And honestly, I think it kind of lost its value and its meaning. Essentially, what I mean and what we're talking about this is twofold. The end result, meaning that net cash flow that is derived not from directly tied to your income or work, uh, serves as a function of in business, fuel, meaning you can reallocate it, you can get an ROI on it, you can scale, you can grow. It is also your end, your returns or your dividends for making that investment um, or in taking the risk on the business, okay? Now, it's important to recognize though that I, I think that gets very skewed. I have multiple different types of income in my life and I always will. I have straight up earned income, meaning a job. Anytime I'm being paid on something that actually needs me, I, that's income, that's drive. That income is almost always higher. This is how the marketplace works and functions, meaning that the marketplace in general will hire you and pay you more than if you went and did it out on your own. And not in general. 
Countless studies have found that over 85% of all entrepreneurs would make more money. These are the ones that are successful if they went and got a job. Now, this is actually logical because if not, nobody would work. So if you simply knew, oh, I'll just start my thing doing the exact same thing I'm doing at work and I'll be paid more. That's not really how it works. Your employment actually pays you a premium to not be doing it on your own. In general, it's true. Now, of course, you can build businesses and scale and you can do all those other things. That involves risk though, that involves even more time up front, that involves capital to actually achieve that. So you can do that thing and be paid more um, than you're doing. But in general, the marketplace, yes, it does. It pays you more or a premium to work. They cover risk, they cover all sorts of stuff, right? And they take care of liability and it pays you up front Um, So there's huge benefits to that. And not everybody should be entrepreneurs. I don't believe that. I don't believe everybody wants to be. There's no need to be. And I don't even think you need to be an entrepreneur to slash build a business and have investments. Now, this is where I think this line gets fuzzy when people uh, are thinking about it or, or listening, meaning that I hold one belief very strong that you have to figure out a way to have money that is not tied to your time. You have to do that. Because at some point, you will not be able to do that thing and make money from it by giving your time, work, and effort, right? You will be too old. That actually will break down. So there's a guaranteed at some point, you will die or not be able to work to make that money. And for the most part, people don't want to be doing the same thing they're doing all the way till they're dead. Because especially if you're younger, that's a lot of work and it can be exhausting. You don't have the mental capacity, on and on and on. Now, this time frame is guaranteed. So at some point, we know that separation will happen. Everyone should be getting ready and should be actively preparing for that. I believe you should be actively treating that period of time more like a business, meaning that the economy offers a lot of um, set it and forget it options, right? That's how we have mutual funds. That's how we have you know a whole lot of these other options. People that make a lot of money, this generally is actually the better way to go because they make so much money that they can take that huge disposable income and allocate it to set it and forget it models, right? I offer set it and forget it models, but you still get to be ownership. And we'll talk about this later on how these options that you have. Now, those people are earning so much for their time, even lots of times if they left, it would be a financial huge setback for them to even do that because the power of their money is more important than their time because of the yield it's getting. What are you talking about? Well, let me use an example. Let's say that you're a person that makes $300,000 a year and you can live on under 100,000. You have 200,000 of disposable income. That $200,000 you could go deploy and you do that every year for 10 years. That's, you know, do the math. That's $20 million. Now that $20 million, if that's making you 10% return, that's awesome, right? You're doing really, really good. Now that makes a lot of sense as opposed to going and giving all of that up and then working hard at trying to start something on your own and giving everything up to try to make that money privately out on your own. Because you're gonna, first of all, lose the 300 or that $200,000 in disposable income that you have, you're gonna lose that, okay? So now in order to make up that $300,000, 
you have a, a huge gap here. That's a $500,000 spread. I need to make $300,000 to make up for where I was. I had $200,000 disposable income that I could use. I now have to create the $300,500. That's a $500,000 spread that you have to make up by leaving that thing. Now, I know this because this was a conundrum that I was in. I did sales and I made good money, right? And so doing sales, being a consulted, consulting by nature, I got to control my own income and that made sense. That's why I worked two jobs for so long. At some point that ends, meaning that obviously at some point you're making more money outside than you are inside if you do it right and do it well. That's what we did. And I built businesses on the side. I didn't do set it and forget it because of different options that um, we'll talk about. But because I had to work full time, that actually made me create businesses. I had to create infrastructure to operate them because I couldn't do it. I had to work. And it made more sense to pay somebody $50,000 to do a thing than me losing those, you know, two, $300,000 to then go do the thing. That should make sense very fundamentally, right? So I'd hire people instead of paying that to me and me doing the thing that allowed me to scale and have those investments not be tied to my time, but still allocating capital and grow. So I utilize and leverage that job. Now, to a huge segment of the population though, everyone, that is not, it's not economical or possible like that. Meaning that if you're making, you know, $60,000 a year or less, um, it is actually can be a lot sooner and more economical for you to leave and stop working because you are not getting paid. You, you can, your re income replacement can be quicker as far as total volume or amount that you have and the risk associated in the loss with it is not nearly as great due to lack. Now you may say, AJ, the risk is more because you don't have disposable income. I'm, I get, I'm not talking about risk of success or failure, right? I'm talking about the loss, opportunity loss of your capital. So when you're looking at these things, first and foremost, it's not for everybody. And a lot of people don't want to do it, but it doesn't mean people shouldn't look at building the business. If you're investing stocks, whatever it amount, if you're looking at your life as a business, how much you make, how much you spend, what money disposable income. If you make $50,000 a year and you are saving $100 a month, at the end of the year, how much do you have and what is the ROI on that capital? And this is how I always looked at my personal financials. I was a business. The source of revenue was me. And so we saved a lot and I invested a ton because my main thing I was looking for was an ROI on my invested capital. In order, if I was a business and I wanted that business to grow, I had a few ways. I could grow organically. For me, that meant I could sell more, right? I could work more. I could just do more. I could get higher education, right? So that I could increase the earning potential of the business that is me. Now, the other way is I could grow through reinvesting into the business which is my balance sheet. First, you need to reinvest in yourself, right? Because that, that's actually the quicker way to change. You can, you can change your business faster at what you're currently doing than outside. So you can work really hard. You can try to find another job that'll pay you more. You can get, there's maybe schooling, and th which I'm not advocating for you to just go get schooling because a lot of people think that equals a higher income, which that's not true at all but there's other options you can do to try to elevate yourself in your current position. For a large 
portion of the population. That's actually the first thing you need to do. You need to work really hard at elevating your current position. Now, you have the problem that as people elevate their current position, their expenses immediately elevate for them. So what happens is them as a business, they are not actually becoming more profitable. So their gross, overall gross income is growing, but lots of times they actually run negative. They start buying more, they start doing more. Um, this is you know income creep. As your income goes up, so does your expenses. So all of a sudden they're growing their revenue, but they are not controlling their expenses and the business is um, not as profit or not profitable. In fact, it may be taking on more and more liabilities and destroying its future potential, like things like school debt, car debt, things like that, that if that revenue changes, now it's negative. Uh, so first of all, you got to look at yourself like a business. Then the next part is once you have that disposable income, you allocate that income into most people are doing savings accounts, right? And everyone, please, I know, don't comment in the comments. Don't talk. Well, I have kids. I, yeah, everybody, everybody's business is different as far as expense loads go and revenue go. It is about working with what you can, what, what you got, and allocating it. So we're not getting into the details here of that. Everyone's situation is different. So that doesn't even make sense to do. What you got to do is increase that gross line while you maintain a stable uh, expense and try to allocate as much as, of uh, savings as you can to generate an ROI, right? And if you say, AJ, time's too tough. I can't do any of that or whatever. You need to be focusing on that first step then. That is first priority. But you still need to think of yourself as a business. Second, allocating funds. How am I going to put place this? How, what am I going to do, right? How can I get an ROI out of this income? And starting small and start thinking about that is okay. You don't need to like, I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to turn $1,000 into a million. Hold the, hold the phone here. Like, pull it back. Those kind of expectations, when you don't even know how to turn $1,000 into $2,000, that's probably not good. So not saying you can't, but you need to actually break this down to figure out a path from A to Z. Once again, you're a business, not a gambler. So what are the steps you're going to take? And how do you get an ROI off your capital? And how do you create a situation where two things happen? Equity grows or income grows, okay? That's your two modes of capital allocation. So are you placing that and how will that grow? And most of the time, capital has to grow organically, meaning the thing, the thing that I put it in needs to grow more, right? Why? Because the capital isn't big enough to get more capital to have an ROI to keep compounding effect. You can start small, do it in like dividend stocks and different things like that, but your proportions are very, very small when you're doing that. Why? Because you're getting retail investment returns. Everybody along the way is taking out all the fees and profits and these huge funds that are running it. So you're getting the end result at the bottom of returns and those are retail investor returns. So your ability to get an ROI is severely damaged by other people doing the thing that has to get you the ROI. It's also severely damaged by things like taxes, right? And how that's working. I'm not going to go into the tax strategy. I'm talking about frame of mind and looking at it. Now, some people, it's actually worth the risk to just leave and start. And they should. Other people may want to invest in like a single family home, right? 
awesome. You're going to get equity and income. But my question is not what you're investing in. That's not the point of this. It's not saying that a stock is better than that. No, no. That is stupid. We don't think about that. That's not how I think. The question is, the thing you're investing in is a product. You need to be able to have that compound. You need more products to sell. You need more money to get ROI. You need to be able to scale. It doesn't matter what you're doing. People hear scale and they think I need to be big. No, if this is a side investment thing in the stock market and you're getting dividends, scaling is returning your dividends back into the stock market to get more what? Dividend paying stocks. That is scaling your capital, everyone. You're taking the capital, you're getting cash flow from it, you're reallocating it, getting more, getting more cash flow, reallocating it. You need to think like a business. That's what I'm saying. The one thing won't do it. It's not going to make you free if you buy one stock. It's not going to make you free if you buy a duplex. So you need to look at that thing in the broader picture. Now, as I figure out how to scale, it doesn't mean that you are doing it. Let me make that perfectly clear. You may have third-party managers that are doing your real estate for you. You may have someone that's actually managing it. There's a whole bunch of ways that you can do this. But it doesn't change the fact that you need to be thinking about it as a business. In my business, we do lots of things. We also have other people do things to generate our income and reallocate capital. The other people we have to manage. I have to look at. I have to know options. We're not gambling, right? We're measuring and we're allocating and we're building structure. So even if you're not doing the thing yourself, who is doing it? How are they doing it? What are the cuts? What does that mean? How's it being re reallocated and how are you building? Because one doesn't do it. One doesn't make you financially free. And if it did, that's because it was gambling and you got lucky. Nothing wrong with that, everybody. If you invested $1,000 into the next Microsoft or a Bitcoin thing and you made you know, 50 million bucks off it, not only is there nothing wrong with it, that's freaking awesome. But that is not a plan, right? And you should not think that that will happen. That doesn't make sense. So any investment that you go into, any allocation of capital that you are trying to reserve for retirement, that you are trying to create more capital to become have side income that is no longer attached to your, to your work and your effort, needs to be looked at as a business. I have $10,000. Where am I going to allocate that capital? And then how is that capital, capital going to help me get more capital and reallocate it? The thing about compounding is it's really slow at first. And then it scales super, super fast, like incredibly fast at the end. That, that curve is very, very steep. So then all you're looking at is how do I increase the amount to make that curve go up? And how do I decrease the time frame? This is running a business. This is all we do. I need more capital. I need a higher return. I need to place it better. I need to do this. And now you're going to start thinking about all the ways to do that. All right, I found something that works. I'm adding an ADU or something onto a house. I'm getting new income. And then all of a sudden the house is worth more. I can refinance it, get my money out, or I can sell it and get more money out. And then I can go buy more to do it. Boom, scale. You're, that's what, exactly what you're doing, right? Let's say it's dividend stocks. All right, I figured out a play on dividend stocks and how I can reallocate and recomp and compound my returns. Now I just want to do it faster or I need more capital to do it. We live in a society, everyone, that is basically a set it and forget it model. Show up at work and get your paycheck. Go home, watch TV. 
We'll take care of retirement. We'll take care of everything for you. It's just like suck on the nipple of the system. And then people are shocked when it doesn't work. This is new. This is not something that used to occur, right? Everyone was involved in generating their own food, their own water, their own house, their own lifestyle. That's just how it worked. We, they were actively engaged in it because there was no system that held underlying support for people. Didn't work like that. There wasn't safety nets, right? And so we've gotten so far away from that, we're defaulting everything to somebody else. And it stops us from being able to think and think that we don't have to. I don't want to own a business, so I'm not going to think like it. Because what does that mean? Business means lots of employees, lots of risk, lots of people. No, it doesn't. That's not what it means. And two, well, I just don't want to deal with it. That's fine, everyone. That's 100% fine. You default it onto the system. You do what it says. And hopefully you will go to college, get good grades, get a good job, have a good 401k, save as much money as you can, stash it away and hope the stock market keeps up with inflation. And then at the end, hopefully that person or that thing managed your money well, and then you can retire, right? Try to stay out of debt. All you're doing at this point is you're trying to keep or get some money that will replace that revenue and keep your expenses as low as possible. That's it. That's fine. That's what you want to do. Go do it. Um, I generally think that doesn't work at all. Uh, we've been through too many things where, first of all, the company fails, your 401ks go. Um, there's just all these things in the outside world. Now, it doesn't mean that it doesn't work. Of course it works, right? My father-in-law worked for the Union Pacific. He has his pension, which is amazing and does great. Idaho is filled with people that are taking public funds through pensions, everything else from California that are getting paid astronomical amounts and moving up here where their expenses are low and their government pensions are guaranteed. So that top line revenue, of course it works. Firefighters do this, right? Lots of people do that, but it doesn't work for everybody. And two, it's not guaranteed. So the set it and forget it model, if you're going to do that, you need to do it right. Outside that, we all have to figure out a way, a way to make sure that we can retire. And if you want to go further and beyond that, we have a system in place that allows us to do it, but we have to think about things differently. You have to be a business, right? You have to think like a business. You need to think about capital allocation, reinvestment, your overall returns. You need to think about risk, how much you can take, how much you shouldn't, and how that would affect your overall goal in compounding out that capital. We should be reading about it. You should be learning about it. Now, there's a million ways to do this. This is the thing. I'm not telling you that people are like, well, I'm not interested in finance. I'm not interested in real estate. Don't do those things, right? There's a million ways to think about and do this. The option, though, to not do anything generally doesn't work. Now, most people stop at the first thing. I'm looking for an investment. Oh, I invest in a duplex or I invest in a home, right? And then that's it. Then they stop. It's not that that's bad. That's first of all, that's better than most people do. And that's great. But there's a few things that make for pretty easy math. I mean, look at a fourplex. If you want to be financially free and you're young, work your freaking tail off, get enough money to buy a fourplex. You live into one side, have that thing on a 30-year mortgage, 
And then over the next 30 years, just try to buy more. By the time you retire at age 60, you'll have multiple fourplexes that are basically paid off while that income went straight up. And you're 60 years old now, and you have five fourplexes that are paying money for you and wherever that is and a property manager, and you're living really well. So I think people overcomplicate it. At the end of the day, though, that's a business, and you need to think like it. So I, I, I stop saying I'm going to just invest. You're not just investing. That's not how this is working. And you don't want to build yourself a job. So many people leave trying to escape things. They build a business that is solely dependent on them. They buy a franchise. They go into real estate and found out now all I am is a property manager and I hate it. All I'm doing is I'm running around fixing toilets, everything else like that. All they did was they bought and built themselves a job. That is not the goal and that's not what we're trying to do. That's not the same thing as it being directly tied to your uh, time with the W-2, but it's the next level above it and you may not even like that. The vast majority, once again, of entrepreneurs make less doing that than they would have if they stayed in. But that's an easy thing to fix, right? Now, I shouldn't say easy, simple. It doesn't mean that it's not hard like everything is in life, but it is simple. The amount of things that we can do to, first of all, build, automate, VAs, using technology, we have to learn how. When we're scaling, when we're looking at that, the use of capital, and once again, how do I grow product? How do I get more in? So how many, do, how many units can I get? And by units, I mean assets. That's it. To increase that income and equity, and in what time frame can I do it in? You create a plan, and that plan should not be under five years in, as, as an outlining goal. It should be actionable, five, three, one, monthly actionable things. But once again, five years plus, this is where the magic happens. It's that, that whole compounding part when you're dealing with investments. Then from there, over that time, you should get better at what you're doing. How do I find a better asset? How do I pick the right partner that can make income going up? Once again, I'm, I'm not saying you're doing it. You're still working with brokers. You're still hiring property management, right? You're still doing dividend stocks in which you don't have any control or whatever that mechanic is, whatever that is, online businesses, micro sites, all those kind of things. But you're getting better at it as time goes on. All of a sudden, your yield is growing, you're getting more equity and you're getting more income. So then your first deals, you actually sell and buy new deals, why? Because you can find better, you know how to write people to do it better, so your yield is higher, so you can actually get rid of the original one and buy more and get a higher yield on your capital. Now your returns are better, that means you make more, you get higher yield and you can reallocate it even more. Then after five years, you're running. Now maybe you quit and leave your job and you're hiring staff that are doing things for you like VAs, that are looking at stuff, and you set up a structure. And two, when I say hiring, I shouldn't say hiring because for some reason everybody gets squirmy. I mean contracting out with some VAs just to literally like reduce workload and then working with your business partners, which are things like property management, consultants, brokerage firms, all that kind of stuff. You're managing all that and you're telling them what to do. And that just keeps going. After five years, it starts to really scale. And then before you know it, you've got a full-on business. And you're like, ah, I was never trying to make a business. I was just investing. But you treated it like one. And it's not tied with your time. And this is how it works. Too many people want too many big things too soon. 
they're not thinking about how it actually, how much time it takes to allocate capital to get more products, more units, more assets, right? All they're thinking is individual investment. That's just going to pop and it's going to make me financially free. And then when it's super successful, I'm just going to buy a ton more. That's not how it works. Methodical approach, allocating a capital. It costs me X amount. I need to save X amount. I need to get the returns off that one. I need to increase equity. I need to redeploy it. And stacking. That's what we do. It's called our stacking method. So even with our investors, we built that system that's not one, but multiple. And then we built a system that investors could come along. All they do is they invest with us, right? And that original amount I want over a period of time to be reallocating but they're still having the income from the original sources. It's my whole model because that's what that's what did it for me. That's what made me wealthy, what made me financial free, what allowed me, my dad, to get off our sales jobs. They created a time where we didn't have to be tied to our money, our work. We didn't have to be running all over the states to clients, getting fired, that was wearing us down, that we were just done with. It felt like I was on a treadmill. We were running so hard, but we weren't going anywhere. And it's hard because people are like, how can you complain? You were making good money. And it's not that I'm complaining about the money, right? But it's not what I wanted my life to look like and it's not what I wanted to do. I wanted a better way and a smarter way to use my time. And so building a system of scale. We'd buy, we'd refinance in three to five years, get all our money plus profits out. We'd reallocate that in. We'd still hold that same one. It's still cash flowing, paying us money. Then we got more, more assets, more cash flow, and we stacked and stacked and stacked. So it's all we did with our investors. So you come in, then the investors can allocate capital with us. We refinance, they get their money and profits back out and we're targeting that three to six, three to five year period of time. So then they can get more. They still have that original source and then they stack along with us. My dream is that I have investors that in 20 years, their original source of investment now owns lots of doors, lots of units, lots of products. And I have the infrastructure that allows them to stack along with me. Now, I still think, and I... This is my biggest, my biggest irritation with not only outside people and investors is they think it's an ATM. They think that I just paid something and I should just get things there. This is a business and you need to think of it like a business, right? We're trying to uh, get it stacked and you need to look at the long term, not just the short term. And when I say long term, I'm talking five years. That's not that long, people. And we're trying to get more and more units and we're trying to work through that, right? So you need to shift your mind around it. When you look at your own income statement, when you look at your investments, when you say, how can I get more? How can I reallocate that capital? Velocity of capital, the turnover of it is more important, the less you have and getting that stacking method, more units, more cash flow, more equity, and not tied with your time. That is the plan. That is how you do it. If you're doing business, not investments, it's the same thing, right? You're selling a widget. How many units can I get? How many can I sell? What's the profit margin on those widgets? How can I use that profit margin to get more, to get them cheaper, and to sell more? It's the same exact thing. The market determines what it wants. Your job is to supply the market in any kind of investment. It doesn't matter. You're like, oh, I just put money in the stock market. That's what you're doing. You're putting money into companies that are giving the market what they want and have a structure that does it profitably. And then you're buying more of those same things. I think too often we want to distance ourselves away from the original source. I don't like the fluctuations in cash flow. I don't like, you know, 
that stuff happening because I'm trained. I'm trained that I buy this and it equals this amount. And that's what value means. Price equals value. No, it doesn't. I'm trained to say I get a paycheck twice a month. All I'm looking at is income. I'm not looking at equity. I'm not looking at my equity. So many people actually have more equity than their income is coming personally, them as an individual. And they don't do anything about it because we're trained not to. We're trained to have it done for us. You get paid after taxes, after 401k, right? You get paid vacation, you get all of it done and you get the net result. And then with that net result, you go to the market and you purchase things that you have no say over. It's just what it is. That's retail and source economics. But that's not how the economy works at all. So peeking behind the veil and seeing how it works can be hard for people a lot of the time because there's what they view as uncertainty, which is funny because I actually don't, once you understand it, a lot of it's not that it's uncertainty. Uncertainty is having a single source of income and never knowing when it'll go away because you have no control over the revenue, right? Your business that is you, you have no control over the income and you take on all the liabilities that don't go away. Not a good business. So when you look back behind the curtain, what you get is you can get diversified revenue. You can get control over that revenue and you can increase that revenue and you can scale that revenue. You have control over expenses. You see it. You don't get consistency. You don't get nearly the simplicity. That's the trade-off because that's how the real world works. My businesses pay my employees. Doesn't matter what the profit is. My assets, I pay for my employees. So even my investors, are in, we have expenses, we pay for it. It doesn't matter what the income is. We'll take distributions after we do reserves, after we get all this stuff done, after we grow it to a certain point, I wanna use that capital in the asset to make it make more capital. That means I'm foregoing today to make for tomorrow. The, and the revenues go up and down every single quarter. They're not consistent, right? Like a paycheck is. But that's how all assets work. That's how the real world works. We're not trained that way, so that creates an uncomfortable situation for us. That makes us scared, that makes us worried because we don't understand the fundamentals of what is security in that asset, right? What does that framework look like? Where is the range of acceptability? Is this normal, is this not? So it's what we do. We try to teach people and try to show them what that money's trying to do, what you need to be doing to accept it. That's why you have periods where people always sell at the worst time and they always buy at the worst time. I mean, I got to tell you, we're in the best time to buy and there's the least amount of investors. It's shocking at the retail investors, how they went away. And when it was the worst time to buy, they were all there. We were talking two and a half years ago, like, hey, this is going to be the buying opportunity of life here. Two years, we look at it in long period of time. We're not looking at a day today. And all it took was six months for investor capital to dry up and the demand for it to dry up, the drying up of the capital makes deals be really good. Why? Because you get way more for what you buy because there's less competition. And that's how the cycles work. It goes up, everybody wants in when it's on the top, when it's down, nobody wants in because it's an emotional reaction to price, not value. Price is up, that means it's worth more and it keeps going up. Price is down, that means it's worth less and it will keep going down. Those aren't true. That's not how it works. But our emotions inside, we're trained to see price and price equals value. And when the price changes for negative, it's a, it means it's falling in value. 
these assets that are falling in value, most of them didn't even change how much money they're making. So did it really lose value? Or did the market just not want to pay more? And that means the value of the cash and what it actually does went up. Obviously, it's the latter. This is a hard thing for us to do. And that's why I say, think like a business. Build a business, not a job, right? Don't think like the end result. If you're an employer, look at your business model. Or sorry, no, if you're an employee, look at your business and your employer. You're getting a net thing of what's left over. How's everything else work? The owners, they see how it all works. They're working within it. They know the fluctuations, everything else like that. You're not privileged to them. You don't see and you don't know. Now, you don't worry. But for all you know, your employer could cut your job literally the next day. But because you don't know, you can't plan. Because you don't know and you're kept safe and comfortable, you don't get control over it. You can't do anything. So you're actually in a worse position. But it's once again how we're trained. Retrain your brain. Me and my dad used to play a game, which I loved when we drove around and we're trying to sell. We'd go visit clients and we were doing the dog and pony show thing, right? And all that good stuff. And the game we'd play is every client we went, we were trying to get a new one and we're making these presentations and trying to sell them on why we were valuable, everything else. We would look at their business model and then we would dissect it. So then me and my dad would look and say, okay, what do you think they're making here? What do you think they're making there? What we wanted to do is we wanted to understand the back end of all these businesses. I wanted to understand how they were making what they were doing. And it occurred to me one day, I'm like, I bet you I'm and we're asking questions here, just sitting in the car as we're waiting for a meeting to start or it just got over and we were driving away. And we're probably asking questions that literally 90% of the employees have never asked because we want to know how it's actually working. So change your mindset, change the way you think about it. That milk you're buying, it cost X. How does it get to that price? How's that, how, how's that price come up, right? Why is that price that price? I wonder how much it costs to make it. Just doing a simple exercise like this, making a game out of it, really changes your understanding of the economy and what you're doing, what you're paying for, what you're not, right? And it's like, it doesn't mean, by the way, that I'm cheap or that I pay. Actually, it's totally the opposite because I view time, money very differently. Um, I don't care necessarily about the price of certain things at all. I never will. I don't want to use my brain power to even think about it now. Now, that's not true when we started. We were all cash. Like literally, we made little envelopes. I think it was Dave Ramsey style, you know, where it was just cash. And we'd pull it out and this is how much we had and this is what we're using. Why? We were learning. I was learning how the money worked. I'm a business. I got to figure out how this business is going to work. I need to know where every penny goes. I need to know how it's working, what we can do to change things, what we can do to save. These are the first steps. And then I need to know how am I generating revenue and income? What does that mean to the business? Then from there, when you look at investments, when you look at a real estate property or anything else, don't just say, well, so-and-so said it's a good investment. Dig in a little. Build a business, not a job, people. Think beyond your deposit into your account. Think where did it come from? What percentage of the income is this? How do they, 
ask questions, ask your employer questions because you'll be improving yourself. By improving yourself, you're making yourself more valuable because you understand the position of your job and what needs to be done and what your revenue to employ is and what value you derive and for the business. Not Obviously, I'm not talking value as you as a person, individual. It's okay. You're perfectly beautiful snowflake and you're individually wonderful. We're talking about how much money you get in exchange for your time here. So when you're talking about that, how can you improve that position? Meaning that your time spent, how can it yield more because you got to spend it anyways. That's the same thing you ask when you're dealing with investments, right? When I'm looking at properties, we're simply figuring out that compounding effect, how to reallocate capital to get more income and how to reduce the time frame in which we do it. And then we're building out frameworks to keep us safe and to guard the original one because losing money is one of the biggest ways to absolutely kill your compounding cycle. Now, at first, when first testing stuff, I lost a lot more money because I was paying for education as I would try things and they failed. And then I'd learn. It didn't mean I stopped. It just meant I learned. All right, everybody. To participate in the economy, you got to learn how the economy works. And you are participating in it, just not in the way that you want. You want to be an owner of it, like all market participants are, and that's how you let the economy work for you. A little bit of effort on this side yields super high results for you. Even if you are an employer, no matter what you're doing, or excuse me, employee, and you don't want to change that, a little bit of understanding allows you to yield higher results. Those small changes have massive impacts in five to 10 years. And once you start thinking like that and seeing that, that dramatically changes what you do. I had a very, very hard time spending money and leaving my job. Why? Because the money that job was paying me, to me, let's just say $200,000, $200,000 out of my real estate to me in five years meant $2 million. So I didn't want to leave my job because the $200,000 was $2 million to me. Now, there's obviously a cross point when that changes, and I think I waited too long, um, but change your mentality around how you spend money, how you make money, and that will benefit you in the real world when you take the red pill and see behind the curtain how it actually works. All right. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next time.